Today's episode is made possible by Affinity Solutions. Unlock your business's potential with actionable insights into consumer spending, powered by Affinity Solutions. With exclusive insights from over 140 million cards, Affinity Solutions showcases consumer purchase behavior with unprecedented clarity. Seize the opportunity to reshape your strategy with accuracy, execute with precision, and measure with confidence. Affinity Solutions equips you to outperform in today's competitive landscape. Step into the future of analytics with Affinity Solutions today. As Uber and Lyft is now doing this as well, create you know, a media network, there's just a ton of potential there for brands to use first-party data that Uber has, where someone's going, where they've gone, and use that for pretty targeted ads. So I think there's a lot of potential there for that network. It's Tuesday, December 5th. Yuri and listeners, welcome to the Behind the Numbers Daily and eMarketer podcast made possible by Affinity Solutions. I'm Marcus. Today I'm joined by our principal analyst who covers everything technology related. It's Yuri Wormser. Hey, Marcus. How are you? Hey, fella. Very good, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. No one ever asks, how are you? Thanks for asking. I try not to be rude, sir. I'm only going to have you on from now (laughs) into the future. No one else. Maybe, maybe Ross. That's the list. Okay. Today's fact, how would you get on if you had to fly through an asteroid belt? I know you've thought about it. Well, you keep your eye open, or your eyes open, probably too, but it's really unlikely that you'll collide with anything. So despite what you've seen in sci-fi films, asteroid belts are typically quite desolate places. They're busy when compared to the rest of space, but they're pretty desolate nonetheless. So the general gap between large asteroids, the ones that could do significant damage to your spaceship, Yuri, that you own, is about a million miles or 2 million kilometers between each asteroid. So there's basically no chance at all that you can hit them. There are families of asteroids, but if you picked a random course, you'd be lucky to see a single one. It's good to know for when I'm out cruising the uh, (laughs) the solar system. (laughs) That's quite disappointing now. Anytime I see someone flying through an asteroid belt in Star Wars, I'm like, yeah, that's not real. Is that what they do in Star Wars? I can't remember which film I'm thinking of. But you can name them too, apparently. The International Astronomical Union has a 15-person committee. Oh, you can't name them. They do it. Or maybe they take suggestions. They must do. There's a 15-person committee for small-body nomenclature to control the naming of the ever-expanding roll call of minor planets. One's called Robin Hood. There's Brontosaurus. And one that's just called Gary. I feel like these people aren't taking their job seriously, as if I am. In today's episode, first in the lead, we'll cover ride hailing. And then for another news, we'll discuss self-checkout's future and Amazon trialing humanoid robots. Yuri, we start with the lead and we'll check in on Uber, the ride hailing leader, at least in the US. They were saying that they made over $9 billion in revenue in its most recent quarter. That's less than Wall Street had hoped for, but an 11% increase year on year. It was good enough to generate over $220 million in net income, though, which is a big deal because these companies have struggled to be profitable. These ride-hailing companies. Kellen Browning of the New York Times was noting that this is Uber's second straight quarterly profit on the strength of its own business operations. What does that mean? Well, rather than investing in companies and seeing profit that way, it's doing it organically. This was a milestone for the company that had long-faced questions about profitability. Yuri, we're talking ride-hailing, and so Uber being the biggest player in it is somewhat of a bellwether for the space. Has Uber turned a profitability corner in your opinion? Is its business model looking more sustainable? 
I think it is. Not only are they increasing the number of people using Uber, they're also increasing how often each user has a ride. So I think they're generating some really powerful growth. And at the moment, given their current business model and the fact that drivers are contractors, I think they have a manageable cost structure too. So I think it looks decent if current trends continue, but there's a lot of uncertainty there for them. So I'm going to say it looks good, but that's with a low confidence level that it looks good. Okay. There's a big market there, a big market today and a big market in a few years. Ride hailing sales, you know, in your recent research on this, expected to double by 2027, according to our forecasting team, a $100 billion opportunity by that time. Average sales per user also increasing quickly. Average US users will spend about 750 bucks on rides this year. That's going to grow to about a thousand bucks in a few years time. So the market's getting bigger, which is good for them. They've also got a record number of drivers, 6.5 million that move passengers and food around the world. So that's good for them because they were struggling to get drivers back for a while after the pandemic. And also, Yuri, I mean, one threat to their business, um, at least according to some of the New York Times articles I was reading for this, is the fact that they're still fighting these labor disputes and classification issues. Uber's drivers, they're classified as independent contractors, not employees. So that means no health insurance, no minimum wage, things like that. Uber says that drivers prefer having the flexibility of being independent. And it really depends on which state you're looking at here. This can vary quite significantly. Kellen Browning was noting that labor activists in Massachusetts, California, New York have tried to chip away at this business model, contending that it exploits drivers. Dean Seal of the Times saying Uber and Lyft agreed to pay a combined over $300 million to resolve an issue in New York with the attorney general's allegations that the ride-hailing giants cheated drivers out of wages both companies denied any wrongdoing. But the resolution that they figured out provides minimum driver earnings floor, along with paid sick leave, proper hiring and earnings notices and other improvements to drivers' working conditions. This is obviously just in New York. What do you make of where the right hailing companies are in terms of labor disputes and classifications and how much of a threat that is to the companies? That's really why I said I have low confidence. It looks pretty good for these companies. I think current trajectory is really strong in terms of their business performance. But these labor issues, particularly, I think, the California law, which still considers Uber drivers as essentially contractors with some caveats to it. Right. I think it is the Supreme Court of California knocks that law down. Mm -hmm. I think that throws a lot of these labor questions back into play. And there's just no way that that won't have an effect on their business model Mm -hmm. if you start having to pay for health insurance and things like that and other labor benefits. So there's that question. And there's also international expansion will have similar types of questions around labor rules. So great point. I think those are the two areas where we just can't say clearly right now how the courts are going to rule and how regulatory agencies are going to rule abroad Mm -hmm. and what effect that's going to have on their business model. And in turn, what effect that has on the supply of drivers. Yep. Yep. So uh, how is Uber's profitability looking is what we're asking here. Are they turning the page and becoming more of a sustainable company? One way they could do that is with additional revenue streams, one of those being advertising. And you feature this in your latest research. You write that advertising is evolving within ride-hailing platforms. How so? Yeah, so they both Lyft and Uber, but Uber has got a big lead in this, have created various different places to place ads. They have ads in their apps for Uber Eats, in Journey, and the main Uber app. They have tablets in the back seat. I mean, they have advertisements, sort of these ads on top of the cars themselves in some mm-hmm. densely populated areas. So the last one, those ads on top of the cars, interesting, but I think the real money makers are the in-app ads. Yeah. The ads that are for journeys or around Uber Eats, there's a huge potential there. And then they're showing real promise in the ads and the tablets in the back of the cars too. So those mm-hmm. tablets are things that provide information about the driver, the tips, some other information on your route. 
but they also have space for ads and there's a lot of potential there. It's still early days for those tablet ads too. Mm -hmm. How many Americans are using ride hailing apps? What's the market here in terms of them getting money from ride hailing, but also the potential for these folks, these customers to see ads in app? Well, I mean, that's the thing. So it's a huge audience. According to our estimates, it's 77.6 million users next year. Those are unique users, not rides. So it's a really large audience. Mm. And as Uber and Lyft is now doing this as well, create you know, a media network, yep. there's just a ton of potential there for brands to use first-party data that Uber has, where someone's going, where they've gone, and use that for pretty targeted ads. So I think there's a lot of potential there for that network. Mm -hmm. So you said, quote, 78 million next year. This year, a bit of a milestone. You were pointing out in your report that 72 million from this year users of ride-hailing apps in America, that beats pre-pandemic 2019 just. So it's it's just crept past that mark. It's going to go to 78 million the year after that. What does the growth look like the next couple of years? Does it continue on that kind of trajectory or does it kind of slow down a bit? Continues pretty fast in 2025, roughly the same trajectory. Okay. Then it slows down a little bit going forward. So we're projecting 7.7% growth in 2024 for users, mm -hmm. and then 5.1 in 2025, and then 3.7. So definitely you're seeing the growth rate slow down, but it's still solid growth going forward. Part of it is yep. just the base is getting higher. Yeah, at that rate, it's looking at close to 90 million by the end of our forecast period, 2027. That's about a third of Americans using ride-hailing apps, or at least American adults using ride-hailing apps, which is pretty impressive. What does the split look like in terms of Uber folks, Lyft folks, or folks who use both? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. About three quarters of rideshare users are... Uber users, either they use it solely or they use it in conjunction with Lyft. So it's definitely the leading company. In terms of what the split is, we have in 2024, 44 million people using Uber only, 19 million using Lyft only, and 14.5 okay. million using both. So just a really substantial lead for Uber right now. Mm -hmm. And then Uber reaching pre-pandemic levels for itself this year. Lyft will reach its pre-pandemic levels in terms of users next year. But Uber will keep that gap from Lyft over the next couple of years. Why Uber reporting? We were saying this a bit earlier in the show. Passengers taking 25% more trips than last year. So that's up in October. Uber recorded a record number of monthly trips. So hitting some pretty big numbers. And then just in terms of growth initiatives as well, you, I think you were writing about this. Uber One, this monthly subscription service expanding to 18 countries last quarter. There's also a partnership with Google's self-driving car unit Waymo to let passengers in Phoenix request Uber rides from autonomous vehicles. Which brings us to our last question. Are we going to see ride-hailing folks climbing into driverless Ubers and Lyfts anytime soon? So yes, you're going to see people take autonomous ride-hailing rides but not a lot of them. So right now okay. we're projecting about 184,000 people are going to take an autonomous ride on a ride hailing service in 2024. So when you compare that to the 78 million overall, it's a tiny, tiny fraction. So especially I think with some of the problems you're seeing with crews, just like being autonomously hitting people and things like that, it's going to be a while until you see this become a widespread business, but it is growing. We projected that autonomous ride sharing is growing at a fast rate, but from an extremely low base with absolute numbers that are still tiny. So you mentioned 184,000 roughly people yep. right in the whole country doing this, a very, 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 very tiny share. That would be, for context, the population in Manhattan, we talked about the other day, is about 1.5 million. So that would be about 
12, 13% of the population in Manhattan taking one out in the whole country. So it's not a lot of people at all. Do you think that this low number is an indictment on how people feel about taking autonomous ride hailing cars? Or is it just the fact that the space is just so nascent people haven't tried it yet? I think it's the latter. I mean, I think there is a big part of the population that's not ready to use it. So, I mean, that's part of it too. But I just think the technology is not there. It's in market to test it, to use it. I mean, these are large-scale tests, essentially, rather than real businesses at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's it for the lead. Let's skip the halftime report. Yuri, head straight to the second half of the show today in other news. Will we see more or less self-checkouts next year? And what to make of Amazon trialing humanoid robots? Story one, 15% of Americans, that's nearly one in seven, admitted to purposely taking an item while supposedly scanning it at self-checkout, according to a recent lending tree survey. Put another way, one in seven people admitted to stealing an item whilst pretending to scan it at self-checkout. Yuri, what might be worse than that is that whilst 60% said they felt bad, shouldn't have done it. 40% said they plan to steal things again at self-checkout. It's mainly young people, men, and parents. Shocking. Yuri, by the end of 2024, do you think there's going to be more or less self-checkouts? I mean, that's a great introduction to my answer. I think there's probably going to be less just because it's costing retailers just a ton of money. They all introduced this because they thought it would be a cost savings. They'd have to hire fewer cashiers, but they're losing so much to fraud, to retail theft, that I just don't think it makes a lot of business sense. So I think we're going to see less. Yeah. It seems like we are, at least in the short term, I mean, there's a couple of retailers, major retailers, changing how they feel about self-checkout. In the US, Walmart plans to remove self-checkout from stores in New Mexico. Select Target stores started limiting self-checkout to 10 items or fewer. And in the UK, grocery chain Booths is removing almost all of its self-checkout areas. Other retailers, you're going to have to do this cost-benefit analysis of the savings for having self-checkout. Do they outweigh the potential uptick in theft? Especially since 40% of all grocery thefts occur at self-checkout. So they over index massively there. That's according to retail loss prevention company Aurora. Story two. Amazon is trialing humanoid robots in US warehouses to, as they say, free up staff and also to see if these robots can work safely with people. According to the BBC, the new human-shaped robot Digit has arms, legs, and can move, grasp, and handle items. Amazon says it now has over 750,000 robots working, as it says, collaboratively with its human staff, often doing highly repetitive tasks. That's not these humanoid robots. It's trialing these. That's all robots, so robot arms, ones with wheels, drones. Now human-shaped ones as well they're trying to introduce. Back in October, we talked about how Agility Robotics, that's the maker of this robot called Digit, was opening... of its kind humanoid robotics factory in Salem, Oregon, to produce 10,000 of these guys annually. But Yuri, we didn't know Amazon was interested in them being the second largest employer in America and the top 10 employer in the world. That makes this more of a big deal. Will the world accept humanoid robots by next year, by 2024? Will they accept them that early? I think so. I mean, I think they'll accept them in fulfillment centers. Okay, backstage. Yeah, working in these warehouses is grueling. Assuming that they don't endanger the health of workers, which I don't know enough about them to know whether they will or not, but assuming that they don't, it could actually reduce some of the more debilitating jobs in those warehouses right now. So I think you'll see them show up in the warehouses. I don't think consumers are ready to interact with them outside of warehouses, though. So I think it's a yes with a caveat. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm curious to see what they mean by free up stuff. Because they were saying, well, these robots are going to break. We're going to need people to repair them. But you're going from working in a warehouse, which is one job, to being an engineer, which is a very different job. And they require two very different skill sets. And so are you going to make sure you're training people to go do those jobs? I'm curious to know what it means by freeing up staff. That's what we've got time for for this episode. Yuri, thank you so much for hanging out today. Yeah, great to be here. Yes, sir. Thank you to Victoria, who edits the show. James, who copy edits it. And Stuart, who runs the team. Sophie, who does our social media. And thanks to everyone for listening in, of course. You can hang out with Sarah Lebo tomorrow, host of Reimagining Retail Show, where she'll be speaking with Zach Stambor and Jeremy Goldman all about Thanksgiving, Cyber 5, and what to expect for the rest of the holiday shopping season. 